Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by people like you. Patrons through Patreon. Want a patch? Want a plaque? Just want to help support this show? Find out how and add your support at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log Supplemental. Number 47. Where did Mission Log go? Welcome into a Mission Log Supplemental episode. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Uh, I was going to say each week we do a thing, but we're oh, not you're, doing you're that you're thing. You're going to do that where we, yeah, we, each week we pick one yeah. episode, but we're not doing the, you're going to do the bit. You're going to do I, the I, joke. Yeah. I was going to do, well, I actually wasn't even going to do the bit. I was just going to say, here's what we do. And then I realized, no, that's not what we're doing. But then I forgot <laughs> to do the bit. So. Oh, man. Yeah. Either way, well, you would have set yourself up for the bit. Either way. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Firing on, like, half the cylinders mm-hmm. today, I would say, is what I'm doing. Uh, so, yeah, we're in sort of a break. We're in sort of a break between season two and season three of Discovery, which I want to say maybe Discovery. <laughs> DS9. Yeah. Um, I want to say that we have never really taken a break like the one that we're taking right now. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So That's true. We'll talk about, you know, where we are and what we're doing and how we've been in a moment. But first... I want to let you know how to get in touch with us. See, because a lot of this uh, supplemental that we're doing is based around, oh, golly, emails and phone calls and, and stuff that you could have sent in, but you didn't. But you could for the next one or the one after. Who knows? Mission Log Pod <laughs> is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including Discover Documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log a lot like this one. See, that's how this game is played. Mm-hmm. It, totally like this episode because this is the episode where we're using comments. Like you said, we got email, we got uh, we, we got voicemail. Now we had just so many tweets and so many Facebook comments. Can't can't reply to all of those, no. um, and we can't reply to all of the emails. But this is a good place to be able to at least take a crack at it and just remind you, our listeners, that uh, that we do see and hear and and watch everything that's coming in, even if we can't get back to everybody individually. That's kind of a good problem to have, because the opposite problem would be uh, we're just doing this uh, in the dark and we never hear from anybody. That would be yeah. that, that would be a, a sad state of affairs. But we're we're lucky. We are blessed with the riches of many many people writing in to share their comments. Um, so we'll get through some of those today. Um, one of the topics, though, I wanted to open with right off the bat 
is, uh, as you mentioned, Ken, we're in a hiatus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Why do we take breaks? Uh, Generally speaking, we don't. Honestly, generally speaking, we only take breaks either for a major holiday or when we're traveling. Oddly enough, Star Trek Las Vegas tends to be one of the biggest times (laughs) that we take breaks from producing the show. But that's because we're actually at the show talking about the show. Um, As for why we took a break this time, I honestly can't say why we took a break this time. It just felt like a good idea. Yeah. 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 We, we needed we needed time. Uh, people have written in and they, they've said, hey, we're going to miss you, which is great. It's nice to be missed. Um, and we did not set a specific date that we are coming back with season three. But part of the reason we wanted to do this episode is to remind you that, hey, we're still here. And uh, Mission Log takes a lot of time to produce uh, a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort. Some podcasts, I'm very lucky, uh, some podcasts we can come out and just turn on a mic and go. Mission Log isn't exactly produced that way. Uh, So it takes a tremendous amount of time during the week and in the days leading up to actually releasing an episode. So needed to take a break. And it seemed like uh, a break between seasons on DS9, especially because season three is a big change for DS9. Mm-hmm. Seem like as good a time as any to take a little bit of uh, a little bit of a break. But we hear you and we thank you for saying that you will miss us in the meantime. And we also thank you for uh, for understanding. <laughs> that is yeah. very nice uh, of, of everybody to say. So um, so that's it. Uh, no, nothing major other than just need to create a little bit of uh, a break for ourselves so we don't go completely mad. We've been doing this for six and a half years. I know, right? Yeah. And, and actually, you, you know what? Uh, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, I got a notification on Facebook that you and I have been friends for seven years. So it must have been seven years ago that we actually started doing our demos for Mission Log. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, no, we didn't start. I think it, I think it was about a week later that we started. I think we started talking right around now. Okay. Yeah. Another week or two. Because right. March, for some reason, I have it in my head that March was the first time that we sat down and did this. But yeah. I, I assume there's a file on one or both of our computers that will actually say. I don't <laughs> Maybe know. so. Maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Um, so that that takes care of that little bit of business. Um, and, and then what are the other things that I, I wanted to ask you, Ken? I, I just have this because I, I think this represents a lot of comments that we've gotten recently. And believe me, we're going to get to some emails that I think are are really thoughtful, really even handed and, and really smart. So I want to share those with everybody. Um, Ken, why do you hate DS9? Well, have you watched it? (laughs) That, that of course, is a terrible setup. (laughs) Terrible setup for a question. And and you know, and hopefully our audience knows that uh, that I don't mean that. Um, And hopefully people know that I don't mean my answer. Right. So there you go. It's, I mean, well, I mean, we're going to spend the next however long we're going to be doing this show, however long we're in Deep Space Nine, addressing Mm -hmm. thoughts on Deep Space Nine. I think people think that I'm kidding when I say that I've never really watched Deep Space Nine (laughs) as much as others, right? Right. Because we had somebody write to us recently and say, um, oh, come on, how can you get so upset? You know how this turns out. No, I don't. I don't. Mm -hmm. I've watched some episodes of Deep Space Nine. I can tell you some story arcs. I can name every character who comes on screen. Although there's one, actually, that people keep talking about that I'm like, I don't actually think I know who that is. Mm. So, I mean, so it's fine. I I don't know how this is going to go. So when John says the conceit is that we're watching this as if it's being broadcast, hi, 
I'm watching it as if it's being broadcast. <laughs> so everything you hear is the reaction of somebody who considers themselves a Star Trek fan watching something that considers itself Star Trek and saying, what the heck is going on here? Yeah. Okay. Now, if you tell me it ends fine, then we get into a bigger discussion. Like, um, I read a fantastic string of tweets uh, a couple of years ago now. It was basically, you know, railing against like Vin Diesel and The Rock movies. And it wasn't because Vin Diesel's not good and it wasn't because The Rock's not good. It's It was basically about the superhero movies, but where the superhero doesn't care at all about what happens to get to where he's going, right? Mm. So 10,000 people might die, but mm. as long as the superhero lives and his family lives, then we're not supposed to care about those 10,000 people. I understand it's probably going to have a happy ending. What you put me through to get there is is the part that I might find uh, objectionable. And then, of course, how the characters act on the way as well. At the same time, there are lots of episodes of Deep Space Nine that I uh, that I really like, and you can apply this to other other iterations of Star Trek as well. So, yeah, there's a slightly longer answer. No, I don't hate Deep Space Nine, but you know, yeah, there are episodes I just can't stand. See also you know, TOS and TNG. Well, well yeah, see, exactly. And I, and I think also part of the conceit here is that, um, you know, Rod picked us to do this show because he, he wanted a certain kind of approach. He knew that we were Star Trek fans and, right. and, and he knew that we felt like Star Trek had something to say. So we wanted to figure that out. And, and even though Mission Log is opinion, we're, we're kind of putting on a little bit of uh, uh, like a, a journalist view of this. Not not that we're doing news of Star Trek, but the idea is, OK, let, let's just take the episode at face value. Let's sort of separate ourselves a little bit from our Star Trek fandom and just say, OK, here's what the episode is trying to say and and pick that apart, whether they get it right, in our opinions, or get it wrong, in our opinions, if we think that the message that comes across in an episode is necessarily what the writer was trying to get across. I always think that's interesting is when we land on a moral meaning or message that maybe wasn't intended but you land there anyway, just because of the the nature of production and what happened as that story got filtered through so many people to make what we finally see on air. There is also, I mean, what what Rod put us together to do was actually examine each episode and see whether it carried forward the quote Roddenberry vision. I mean, that's where that that that's why he got us together to do this show. It wasn't to, you know, talk about the drama of the show, which we do sometimes. It wasn't to talk about the effects, which we do sometimes. I mean, it's not it's not to sit around and say that we like Star Trek, and, and, nor is it to castigate Star Trek. It is to say, does this episode carry forward that, you know, that, that thing that we all consider sort of the Roddenberry vision? We got a vitriolic email from somebody who said something about how he might start listening again one day, you know, and hopefully then... It'll have uh, the vaunted Gene Roddenberry vision that Ken wants so much. <laughs> Dude, we're watching Star Trek. I, mean, I don't understand. It, it's not like I said. It's like, you know, that said. And also, that was the reason we were put together. So, yeah, if something seems to really go against that, I mean, to me, I mean, that's that's what we were put. That was literally what we were put here to talk about. Yeah. So. Yeah, we we wouldn't be doing the 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 service of treating Star Trek as something important if we weren't doing that. Yeah. that that's kind of the whole point. 
Well, it's I also like, wouldn't be doing the gig we were hired for. Well, <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's also a good way of looking at it. So, yeah, I mean, um, I, I certainly enjoy when we come across things that are challenging. And I also enjoy that we hear from people who uh, challenge our challenges to not, not that the episode exists, but that there might be a message or something in there that is, uh, that is a little hard to swallow. Uh, because we all come to Star Trek with a different set of backgrounds and opinions and and uh, expectations of what those episodes will hit. Um, on a similar line here, we also got some messages uh, about um, uh, whether or not we could analyze DS9 unless we had watched all of DS9. And I thought that that was a bit unfair, only because uh, for the audience in 1993, 1994, 1995, uh, they're watching it in real time, week to week, episode to episode, and in no way at all should their enjoyment or or uh, the ideas presented, whether they're challenging or not, or, or difficult or not, uh, that should not rely on something that hasn't happened yet. So enjoying an episode in season two shouldn't rely on understanding what happens in season seven. That yeah. was not a luxury that an audience in 1993 or 1994 had. Um, and we want to treat it the same way uh, just because that that is the story as it was told. Well, that kind of goes back to what I said a minute ago, too, about assuming that it's going to have a happy ending. I know yeah, it's not going to yeah, end yeah. well for everybody, but I assume it's going to end well for, for you know, most of our main characters, if not all. Um, I had some difficulty with the first season of Discovery. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, for their wrap-up, the guys from Trek Geeks had me on to talk about you know all of the first season of Discovery. Yeah. And one of the questions they asked me was if, you know, if that speech at the end, if what happened at the end... Um, made everything that I had had misgivings about throughout the season better. Mm -hmm. And the answer was no. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what I was saying a moment ago. I know it's going to end well. <laughs> yeah, right, right. What you tell me along the way actually resonates. It actually matters. Because, yeah, 94, 95, 96. I, I got to figure there's a reason that I haven't watched Deep Space Nine. Hmm. Honestly, and it's it could just be that it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me in that same way. It doesn't it doesn't, you know, deliver those kinds of messages on a weekly basis. And, yeah, I know maybe it's going to eventually. But yeah. then uh, then we get into a whole other level of conversation. <laughs> right. But I like it. Right. Well, but but here's the thing. You can you can like Star Trek. You can like the production. You can like what's going on. But you can definitely take issue with the morals, meanings, messages. You can definitely take issue with the way a story is told. And uh, and I, I'm kind of right there with you. Now, you and I enjoyed, quote unquote, discovery at different levels. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with you on what the problems were from that morals, meanings, messages point of view, that it took 15 episodes to get to one person to be able to stand up and say, hey, guys, remember our values? <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, uh, I, I was, all right, so I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought up Discovery. I had this conversation with somebody the other night, uh, right before our every other week Discovery screenings in L.A. at, uh, at the Impro Theater, and we were talking about Section 31, and 
I've talked to so many people who are new fans, who are old fans, who are just so excited about Section 31. And I keep trying to wrap my head around how I will be able to enjoy that and how I will be able to square it with sort of my version of Star Trek, with the Star Trek that I like. And uh, that's getting more and more difficult. Um, and I, I said to him, you know, uh, this is part of the discussion we had after talking about Discovery last week after the live show. By the way, uh, everybody should understand that everything we do on Mission Log is full of spoilers. <laughs> so if you haven't watched Discovery or you don't want to watch it or whatever, we're about to talk about some spoilery stuff here. Uh, but, you know, last week or a week before last, that episode's uh, that episode ends with Admiral Cornwell telling uh, Pike and Leland, uh, yeah, by the way, guys, this whole thing about having ideals and values, uh, that's fine, but that doesn't work here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and to me that and I know that to you, it undermines so much of what has come before. And it undermines a guy like Pike who we're all behind and we're all rooting for because he does make, generally speaking, the moral decision. He does weigh out uh, the ethics of what he's doing. So I, I, in my head, I'm trying to think, okay, how am I okay with Section 31? I'm okay with Section 31 being sort of the... Uh, the the CIA or the MI6, the, the James Bond and space story, just the guys who are out there doing intelligence gathering, who are staying under the radar, who don't flash their badges every three seconds <laughs> to say, we're the secret group. We're the secret right. group. The yeah. least secret, secret police ever. Right, right. right. So, oh, I, oh, you're that thing that nobody's heard of. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I so, recognize you by that emblem that nobody's supposed to know about. Yeah, yeah. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that part of Section 31. What I'm not okay with is the idea that we're kind of going down that road now where Section 31 is a thing that it just sort of uh, is there in the background. It's just like, yeah, Starfleet is the... Um, that's sort of the, the moral face of what we do, but we're really pulling the strings back here. When Pike apologized to the Section 31 guy. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he understands that, that he certainly does not have the, the moral quandaries that Section 31 has. Mm -hmm. Well, you know why? <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't. Because theoretically, we weren't supposed to. And yeah. you can argue, honestly, about whether or not we should have a Section 31 correlative today. And I understand we do, but what mm -hmm. Star Trek, this, this, this goes to the heart of so much other stuff. What Star Trek was supposed to be about was not putting a science fiction sheen on your modern life. Star Trek, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, although if we go back to the Gene Roddenberry vision thing, mm -hmm. what Star Trek was supposed to be was a, you know, a, an example of what we could get to, not... Oh, look, it's like the CIA, but in space. Yeah, you know? right, right. And Pike's just a do-gooder. You know, we need people who can really get stuff done, so. 
Yeah, yeah. There, there's something that's really disturbing about that to me because yeah. it, it, in the same mold as Kirk or Picard or you know any of the captains that we've seen up until now, who who you go, oh yeah, that person was faced with something really difficult, a really difficult ethical moral issue, and they did what was right because the principle was right. But right. then when you undermine that and say like, uh, yeah, that that looks good on paper. Right. But but what it's really about is that there's this secret society pulling strings and they do all the dirty work because the dirty work is there no matter what. Um, yeah, imagine if Picard had gotten in, you know, to that planet in insurrection and agreed with whatever that horrible, horrible admiral's name was oh, or, yeah, or, yeah. or agreed with F. Murray Abraham. Yeah. I mean, imagine if, if we had gotten there and Picard had said, well, thank goodness there are, you know, dirty dealers like you making sure that things actually go well. Right. Yeah. Right. And you don't have insurrection. Then you have, you know, um, Star Trek looking the other way. Yeah. 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 So, uh, look, uh, you and I are going to solve this here between me and you. And, and, and look, here's the thing that Star Trek has millions and millions and millions of fans who are presumably getting very different things out of these shows. And and I think that's great. And it's been interesting for me to talk to people who are really excited about this path um, and who are getting something different out of it than I am. Um, again, it doesn't affect my enjoyment because I can enjoy a story and I can enjoy picking apart the morals, meanings, messages. The challenge here is that, well, the, there's new stuff that, disturbingly we can look at it and go oh okay so are we just sort of writing off the 25 years that came before it well and are you also i mean here here was the forgive me not to get stuck on this one point but i honestly did not know what to make of the section 31 episode i mean and and they're all section 31 episodes at this point of discovery but yeah yeah the whole thing that was supposed to be redeeming for season one was burnham standing up and reminding everybody including cornwell who was in the room yeah. You know, reminding everyone what Starfleet is supposed to be. And then Cornwell is saying, yeah, 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 that's fine. But here's the real deal. Right. right. Halfway through right. season two. So it's not just, I mean, so not only is it forgetting the past 25 years, it's forgetting the past year. <laughs> right. Because now right. we're back to that. And I'm assuming that's because, well, it's easier to tell a dark story than it is to tell a good one. Not to be a jerk. I mean, it's it's well told, but I mean, uh, stories about people going out and doing right without, you know, somebody in the background breaking kneecaps. I mean, I don't know if that's just, I don't know what that is exactly. But I mean, to have supposedly had that deliverance into what Star Trek is supposed to be, quote unquote, like if that's what the whole thing was last season, building mm -hmm. up to that that big speech. Yeah. If that was supposed to be our payoff, and then to find out that our payoff, oh, you know, you bite the coin and it turns out the coin bends. So that wasn't the real payoff. The real payoff is going to be somewhere else. But I'm going to have a harder time believing that we've gotten to the payoff next time if, you know, six episodes later, we're still going to be like, oh, no, it turns out that wasn't really true. But here's the real deal this time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, man. Um, look, like I said, we're, we're not going to resolve or solve any of this. Just uh, just a couple of idiots here behind uh, mics. <laughs> you know? Yep. 
Um, but I, I do want to move on with the show because we have some really interesting uh, feedback, some emails that I pulled. We have an interview with Jim Martin coming up in a moment that I recorded a few weeks ago that uh, that I want to share with everybody. And then we have some voicemail to share as well. I, I want to dig in right here to an email. I'll read this one uh, from Barry. And he says, hey, John, Ken and Computer Voice. Nice of him to give a shout out to the computer. It's yeah, really... no offense. Her name's Computer. Oh, oh yeah. So Barry. Okay. Don't right. just address her voice because she gets really, she gets, I mean, she is. Yeah, she's not just a voice. <sighs> you think you think John's volatile. <laughs> I'm so volatile. <laughs> <laughs> You're nothing compared to the computer, though. I'm just saying. Yeah. And Barry says, I listen to my regular Mission Log podcast during my daily commute, which means I get behind schedule during winter and summer breaks. Now the semester is upon me. I'm catching up and just finished the McKee double episode. Oh, interesting. We we got a lot of email about that McKee double episode. Can, can yep. I just tell you? Sorry, abs- really quickly, yeah? can you remind me which one that was? Oh, uh, that was uh, that was the McKee Parts oh. one and two. You might oh, want to go okay. back and listen to that one. Uh, nah, uh, I think I'm good. Sure. A plucky young <laughs> podcaster named Ken Ray had some things to say in that one. Oh, huh. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, Barry, Barry says, can I just tell you how absolutely fascinating I found the almost heated discussion between you two? Ken raised, as usual, enormously insightful questions about this episode and why it asked questions in a way that I found really frustrating. I couldn't put my finger on it until Ken clearly articulated the objections to the episode that I had. Thanks so much for this excellent, spirited discussion. I'm sure you're going to get blowback from people, what? Who can't see that you two are big Trek fans and who are going to accuse you of being, dare I say, a wolf in the fold. Mm. yeah nice Nice keep doing that voodoo that you do so well your fan barry well thank you barry yeah thank you barry Uh, a wolf in the fold that's a uh that's a uh that's a star trek reference isn't it yes it is very good yeah keep doing that voodoo that you do so well you see i i I want to but i'm afraid that you know to continue down the same path might might land me in a um booby trap Ooh. (laughs) oh that had to happen i'm just throwing throwing another title back at him good job yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Barry. I I do not disagree with you <laughs> because, yes, we, we did get a, a few emails from people who were very concerned about our relative levels of fandom. Um, and I think that's a really unfortunate thing. That's not what this is about. Um, but what it is about is uh doing a serious and thoughtful analysis of the ideas that we think are being discussed in a show. Um, and the Maquis was uh, a turning point for DS9, and it was a difficult and interesting conversation to have on our show. Well, it wasn't difficult for us to have the conversation, but there were difficult ideas to grapple with uh, mm. when you start to compare it to the rest of Star Trek. So um, thank you for that, Barry. I, I think you, you summed up at least what our approach was uh, in a very good way. Hey, you wanted to, uh, or do you want to reply to that or you want to, you want to take on the next one? No, I'm good. Do you want to do, uh, do you want to do Vicky's email? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Hi, John and Ken. Oh, didn't even mention the computer. Oh, hey, Vicky. Oh, Lord <laughs> mercy. Uh, I'm so looking forward to listening. Oh, she's writing about uh, Paradise, by the way. Paradise. Yes. Yes. Um, so looking forward to listening to you guys unwrap, unbox, whatever the kids are doing these days. Paradise. This is an episode that has stuck with me over the years so much that I wanted to send a full email versus a few quips. Um, I don't love the episode itself from an I can't wait to watch it again perspective, but it illuminates a major question in contemporary life 
am I living as my authentic self? I'll tell you off the bat that I hate that question. It grates on my nerves. It makes me nuts that we tell each other that there is some self out there that is different, better, more selfy than how we are living, acting, being now. On the other hand, I do think it's a valid question and one that grates on my nerves because it is a challenging question. Asking myself, did I just respond that way because I'm conditioned to respond that way? Was that how I really felt? And yet, on an even third hand, I know this question requires Cthulhu number of hands or <laughs> tentacles. Uh, if we all responded, reacted based on how our base instinct wants us to respond or react, then wouldn't we have a broken down social system, which is part of the hypocrisy illustrated in this episode? I know. I think this episode also illustrates the argument for and against the perfection and humanity that Roddenberry saw as the future. Finally, when Cisco responds angrily to Alexis, and she claims that he's finally responding based on his true self, we all know that that is nonsense. He responds like that, well, kind of pretty often. Again, looking forward to the show. Uh, so writes Vicky. Thanks, Vicky. Yeah. Yeah. Good to hear from you, Vicky, on that one. That was a cool episode. I, I really liked that uh, because, well, uh, partly because Elixis made a great villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because it was one of those villains that was driven by an ideology that the villain didn't see as wrong. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, and and I think those are the most interesting kinds of villains instead of just the mustache twirling, I'm going to take over the world slash the universe, whatever. Um, this was somebody who really felt like she was doing what was right and and what was necessary. But as Vicky points out, brings in all these great questions about uh, self-identity and the authentic, quote unquote, self. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you and I both thought that was an episode that could have been a novel, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that there is so much more to grapple with there. Uh, and then we were left with that really chilling uh, point at the end where here are the kids staring at the punishment box. Well, that that's all they know so far. Yeah. That's all yeah. they know. And there are people who stay behind. Now, I'm always the guy whenever we come across this in an episode of Star Trek, whenever we come across the people who idealize like going back to nature and roughing it, and I'm the guy who raises my hand and says, I would rather stay on the ship that has the replicators and the holodeck. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's more my speed. Um, roughing it to me is a hotel that does not have room service. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's this interesting idea that that we this idea of identity uh, uh, that challenges us to to ask: Well, are are we who we are because of who we are, because of the experiences that we have had? And you'll sometimes hear this posited in a in a historical context where we look at the past and we go, okay, well, here's this terrible thing that happened, or this terrible social movement, or these terrible policies. Well. I would never have accepted that. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if I were there, I would not have accepted the idea that, you know, pick pick something, pick, slavery or whatever. Well, well, that's clearly wrong. And I would never accept. Well, but the problem is the you that is you today uh, is a product of everything that you have been brought up to believe and experience. And, and that's great. Uh but that person, that that theoretical person who existed, who was born in, you know, 1620, 
it's not you <laughs> because they do not have those experiences and that background and that education. Um, so yeah, the, the idea that you're saying, well, well, this, this other, you would only be your true self uh, if you were forced into this other thing. I, that, that's, that's hard to buy. I, I think I would be very resentful, even if I had been planting crops for 10 years. And even if I had uh, uh, achieved the things that those people achieved on that forced colony, um, I think I would have been resentful and angry and glad to go back to uh, uh, to the, the modern world that they had left behind, that they've been forced to leave behind. That's kind of the, the, the key element there. There's also this, to, well, I don't know. It was an amazing episode. It was an amazing episode because it gave us a moral center, that being uh, Cisco and who was it, Dax? Who was, no, Cisco and, uh, and uh, O'Brien in that episode. Mm -hmm. gave, us a, gave us a moral center in Cisco and O'Brien, but then also gave us relatable people. I mean, it goes back to what I've said before about feeling like everybody on the screen in a good episode of Star Trek is some aspect of us. Uh, you know, and going back to TNG, Picard was who I wanted to be. The drug pusher was who I was afraid I was. And, and the drug dependent person was the person I was afraid I was as well. Right. I mean, everybody mm -hmm. on screen represents some part of ourselves. It was an amazing episode for that, um, including when Cisco. I mean, it's, it would have been so easy for Cisco to lie. It would have been so easy for Cisco to, like, say, I'm going to go along with this for now, but I know O'Brien's going to come up with something that's going to get me out of here. Mm -hmm. Cisco was Cisco's moral center all the way through that. All he had to do was recant, and he could have water, and he could be outside, and he could be fine. And instead, Cisco crawled back into the cage that he was put in by somebody else because he was going to stand for what he believed in. Yeah. Which is an amazing, it's, it's an amazing, uh, that was an amazing thing to watch in that episode. And if you've ever had anybody lie to you, to some end that they thought was better, then you can identify with that episode too. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. I think about one thing, every time I think about that episode, I think about one thing in particular where somebody told a group of people something. And I was really glad to hear what he told the people. And I went to him and I said, that happened? And he said, well, it's going to. Ugh. And yeah. I was like, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> and we were. Um, so... I mean, yeah, well, we, we, I can't remember which episode we, we recently discussed that where uh, I talked about my frustration with the pious lie. Yeah. You know, th this idea that it's okay to tell that lie as long as you're telling a really good story that has a, a, a moral end that, that might affect somebody's life. And 100% of the time, I will say no. Yeah. Thanks, Vicky. See, you've given us a lot to think about again. And honestly, this is going to sound crazy to people. I want to go back and watch Paradise. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy at all. Let's, uh, let's do that later today. Hey, a few weeks ago, uh, it was really nice to be visited by Jim Martin. He was a conceptual artist on DS9, actually got his start on DS9, um, and he's gone on to do so many other projects since then. Uh, but he stopped by the offices, and uh, we were able to show off some of his artwork and some videos that I posted to the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Uh, but we talked for about 15 minutes, got into his start with Herman Zimmerman and uh, designing the Defiant. So I wanted to share that with everybody here. Give it a listen, won't you?
So I want to go back to uh, something about your start. You came to Star Trek at, at a pretty young age. You, uh, you were brought into the show by Herman Zimmerman. So tell us a little bit about that. You got it. So I'm right out of college, and I'm working a night job at Kinko's. And um, I'm, I have an art degree, but really no idea where it's going to go. And um, a friend of mine uh, from college, he had a friend of his who he met at Paramount when they were both pages. And his friend went on to be the PA on Next Generation. His name was Jim Magdaleno. So my friend Scott says, you really should talk to Jim and show him your work. So I bundled up my all of my student stuff, and I went in, and I met Jim in the art department of Next Generation. And he took a look. And so basically I was showing my art to the PA. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really excited, didn't know where it would lead. He introduced me to his production designer, and um, that designer introduced me to Herman Zimmerman. And Herman was looking for a PA for a brand new show that was starting up called Deep Space Nine. And you were already a Star Trek fan, so th this must have been a pretty mind blowing that that you even have that connection to the show, and B would start working on it. Uh, it was just too uh, amazing to be real. I'm like, is this really going to happen? And uh, I called Herman a few times just to make sure I, that I actually had the job. And he, um, he launched my career, basically. Like, he, when you get out of school, you really don't know what that step is going to be to get you into the working world. You know, and apparently it's um, by chance, by luck, and uh, persistence. And for me, it was luck. Now, is it true that people who worked on the show who were Star Trek fans kind of downplayed their fandom? Or or did you go in there sort of giddy, like, oh, I, I know what this is, I know what this is, you know? <laughs> you know, it, it, I was uh, a Star Trek fan um, ever since I was a kid. And my brothers and I would watch the show at night before dinner. We knew every episode. Um, so for me, the most exciting part of the job was going down to the set when they weren't shooting there and walking around the corridors and in my head pretending that it was actually a starship and um, and looking around going, I can't believe I'm here. <laughs> it was so exciting. I bet. Yeah. Well, I, but you primarily, so you started on DS9. Correct. And uh, that show has its own very unique design aesthetic you, you have a foot in that 24th century federation look when when those pieces come to play but primarily you're on this cardassian station and then you have bajoran objects and bajoran sets so i'm curious if you can talk about how much you were able to push your design influence because you were dealing with holy alien cultures versus what you brought in from your understanding of star trek and what was established in star trek Good question. I think for me, starting out, you know, completely uh, new to the actual world of, of production art and working uh, on a TV show, 
Deep Space Nine was the best show to come on to because there were things that were established, like uh, Federation design, and then um, there was the uh, alien culture of the week. And that was wide open territory yeah. where you had a chance to, uh, to, you know, really do something new and not, not try to overthink it and conform to, um, to something that had already been designed. So you kind of had, uh, it was a think, really think on your toes experience. Yeah. A, a, any particular pieces of design from DS9 that really stand out to you, I, either as highlights or, or maybe something you'd rather go back and do again? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. You know, it, when you're, in your, when you're uh, in your career, you really are uh, many illustrators in one. You start off and uh, technology changes on you, and then you change as an illustrator. And um, and then as you get more experience on more different shows, you change and you grow, and um, you know, kind of your foundation expands. So, yeah, sometimes I look at that uh, early design I did on my first show, Deep Space Nine, and I try to be objective and remember that um, that I was just learning the ropes, and uh, there was a lot of good intent and um, and. Things I would do differently now, as a as a veteran artist, I don't know that I would want to change what I did just because it's of a time. You know, I I enjoyed working on the Defiant. You know, well, I was going to say you had a big hand in the Defiant, and, and that is a major iconic piece of that show. So. Um, when and we've seen very different sketches of that ship from early on things that looked very uh, very boxy and mechanical to things that are very sleek and streamlined to the final design that we ended up with. Um, is there anything discouraging about doing you know eight or ten or twelve or more designs and then somebody saying yeah this is all wrong we we want a different direction? <laughs> you know that that's something you have to learn when you're uh, a working professional. You know, you have to get your ideas out there. You have to know that um, that first pass is going to generate more thought and you're not going to hit a home run right off the bat. You need to find your design. You need to work through to the final design. And, you know, each pass maybe unlocks from the director or the producer more of what they're thinking of for that design. So you go through the process and that's something you have to learn. Like, okay, I get it. You're not, you have to, to find it, you know, you have to refine it. You have to get it to home base. And out of all of those, I mean, what we ended up with, like I said, is very iconic as the defiant. Is that something now that you look back on 25 years later and go, yeah, that's, that's mine. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, the nostalgia of working on Deep Space Nine, a lot, of, I can look back and go, yeah, that's the Defiant. Remember yeah. remember when we designed a new starship and we had some new ideas to play with and we did, you know, the nacelles actually connected to the body of the ship. A you know, pretty radical design for Star Trek. Yeah. 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 And um, that, I guess that was my chance to say that I contributed to the to the overall, you know, greater Star Trek universe that I have 
a little bit of a, of a design connection that I can claim. Well, and, so- but you know, there are a lot of uh, a lot of what we did is a collaboration. Sure. And so, you know, many there there's Herman's strong guidance in uh, making sure that the design is headed in the right direction. And there is the model maker who actually comes in and refines your idea and makes it good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, since you grew up as a fan and, and then got to put your stamp on Star Trek, I'm, I'm curious, you know, who were those design influencers? It, was it Matt Jeffries? Was it the design aesthetic of the original series? When you got up into the 70s, was it people like, you know, the Sid Mead and Ralph McQuarrie? You know, wh- what were the influences that really spoke to you that impacted your art, but then also what you wanted to bring to the show? Right. I think um, that for me, the um, watching Star Trek when I was a kid, it really, a lot of that design really imprinted on me. You know, like you, that was a style of a time. And it's very distinct. So that, you know, filed in my brain as, all right, this is Star Trek. This is what I think of. This is the shape language of Star Trek. This is it. And then there were other shows that came in and influenced me, too, that kids my age, you know, we, of course, we loved Star Wars. We loved Space 1999. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. That show was designed yeah. beautifully. Yeah. So good. <laughs> so there there was a lot of, you know, you could find great um, sci-fi design in a lot of different areas. Yeah. And, and um, I particularly enjoyed the art of books for uh, the original Star Wars. And I had that. And that, those, the paintings, the Macquarie paintings in there are yeah. um, pure gold, you know. The Sid Mead paintings for uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture are pure gold. Yeah. Just, I, I uh, was so excited when uh, The Motion Picture came out. Yeah. Uh, anything then uh, to, to wrap up that you would yeah. want to design for Star Trek? That like Star Trek keeps going and going and going, and it felt like when Enterprise was done, well, that Star Trek's going to lay fallow for a while. But they sure. had new movies, now new series. It just seems to keep going. So if you if you had to come back and put your stamp on something, what would you want to do? You know, as a working illustrator, you know you you always would love the chance to do fun design, and um, I'm out there. You know, if, if Star Trek ever does call, I, I would be happy to jump back in and, and uh, do some environment and set design and ship design. You know, that would be really fun. I know that they're in very capable hands with the, with the artists that they have right now. And um, I think the look of the shows are really interesting and fun. So hopefully the Star Trek franchise just keeps rolling on for years and years to come and Maybe I find my way back on on a show or two, and that would be a nice way to say, well, I started on Star Trek, and, you know, I get to jump back into the universe one more time. I'm going to do a quick uh, impromptu lightning round here with you. Uh, yeah. Your favorite starship. Favorite starship? Yeah. Uh, the motion picture Enterprise. Correct answer. Favorite bridge? 
Okay, so that's a good question. I'm going to step into a trap. (laughs) (laughs) Original series bridge for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Favorite series? You know, for, I think for depth of stories and uh, really for um, interest, I think the next generation is just has so much there and it's really watchable. All right. So I'll go next gen. Uh, Favorite alien species? Hmm. Tosk. Ooh. All right. All right. Interesting choice. Very good. And uh, and it's date night. Do you go to 10 forward or do you go to the Arboretum? You know, I think I go to the Arboretum. Okay. I'm kind of that kind of that guy all right all right okay i don't mean to sell out my own show by the way d space nine is <laughs> great you know um so no no hollow sweets uh yeah in the picture there was, yeah. and i think that there's an interesting overlap between next gen and and d space nine that uh-huh. they're kind of it's kind of a, a it, it's linear to me it's not okay. like there's one is disconnected from the other right they feel right. like they're it's they're happening in the same universe. So right. I think in what is my favorite show, I think it's that sweet time between uh, 92 and 95 when both shows are running together. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, final question, have you ever been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? Does that really exist? It does. I have not. Just got to add it to the list. All right. Okay, let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. All right. Run about. Na- runabout names. Ooh. If you could name your own runabout, okay. Well, pick so your they, river. All right. So yeah, they had the the Rio Grande. They had the Ganges. They had the Yangtze. Um, that's good. Being from the South, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like I have to go with the Mississippi uh, okay. because you know uh, the, our our Grand River here in the U.S. divides the the East and the West. Uh, so yeah, I think I'd have to go with the the Mississippi. How about okay. yours? I'm, I have to go with Klamath. Klamath. Which is a river in Northern California where I'm from. Wow. All right. You know? All right. See, that, that's the beauty of it. So wherever you're from, wherever your, your regional preferences are, if you're the guy who gets to name the ship, you get to name it after something you like. It's like Brandon putting Bozeman, Montana in everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's his prerogative. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great right. to be here. Till next time. You mentioned, by the way, that videos of some of his work are available on the Roddenberry uh, YouTube page. That is uh, youtube.com slash roddenberryprod. Youtube.com slash roddenberryprod for people to check that out. Uh, Though I was not in on the interview, I did happen to be in the office that day. Um, His phaser... (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) ...that he made when he was... How old was he? Like 10 or something? like 8 or 10, yeah. Yeah, that was a really neat thing to be able to see because, I mean, here's this like, you know, eight, 10 year old kid making a phaser that looks like it was made by a relatively gifted, but, you know, still eight or 10 year old kid. Right. And 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 to to stand there talking to a guy who then did design work on Star Trek based on that was kind of a kind of a neat thing to see. And that is uh, that phaser is actually in one of the videos you mentioned, right? Mm hmm. It is. It is. Uh, I will be refreshing those videos. Well, uh, as this episode comes out, so people can go take a look. YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. Yes, this is Sterling Stokes uh, giving you a call to the Mission Log Podcast. I love uh, your podcast, you guys. I'm a fan of uh, Mac OS Ken. 
what I wanted to tell you was a few episodes ago, I think uh, it was one of the clerics or, or what have you. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. It was one of the Cardassians, uh, and uh, I think it was Captain Bohica. And I don't know if anybody said anything. You guys are usually very, very clever. Um, but <laughs> I, I have to chuckle because uh, Bohica uh, is actually a military acronym, and I wanted to share it with you. <clears throat> the name or the, the um, acronym Bohica is uh, Bend Over, Here It Comes Again. So uh, I just want to share that with you because every time uh, one of you said the, uh, the character's name, uh, I, I thought about that uh, over and over and over again, and I thought that it would be interesting uh, to share with you. Thanks so much. You guys have a great um, podcast. I love it. Take care. Hello, this is Jim from Fort Brook and I've called before. I really enjoyed DS9, and I really enjoyed the villains of Jet, her daughter. They are really quite a, uh, quite a villain and an adversary for Star Trek. Also, I, I like the idea of the Ferengi uh, talking about humans not being perfect, and something that reminded me of during the times when the Soviet Union was around and the communist China, how they would always point their fingers at us and we would point our fingers at them when many times we were almost the same doing supporting dictators or supporting governments that may not be uh, truly democratic, uh, how we would support revolutions and civil wars on different sides and that sort of reminded me of the politics of the 60s and 70s and the 80s before the Soviet Union collapsed and communist China became capitalist. So thank you very much for the program. I'm really enjoying it. Bye. Hi John and Ken, this is Drew. I've been listening for quite a while and I really enjoy the podcast. Uh, very old bit of complaint I guess, but uh the episode yesterday's Enterprise. You guys had a bit of a discussion about whether or not they should have actually identified themselves and mentioned that they were from the Enterprise also when talking to the Enterprise C. Uh, the whole time I was listening to it, all I could think was, it's written on the outside of both of their ships. You know, not identifying yourself isn't going to help a whole lot when you've got it plastered, plastered all over the outside of the thing you're flying around in. Uh, I know it wasn't really a worthwhile complaint, but it's just something I felt like saying. Anyways, uh, have a great day. Thanks for all the hard work. I really enjoyed the podcast. Bye. Ken, John, Frank Ashby in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Just wanted to let you know that I love the show. Uh, I work in mental health, and I've been a huge Star Trek fan ever since my dad introduced me to Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, when I was a kiddo. Uh, as a mental health professional, I use Star Trek all the time. Uh, I work with individuals that uh, have serious mental health issues. Uh, I use Star Trek quite a bit for modeling. Uh, we'll play the Darmok episode 
and talk about communication. Uh, the great scene with Brent Spiner and my door where uh, War openly questions Data as captain and Data dresses him down in private. That's a great scene to play for people and talk about boundaries and talk about uh, what is the right way to address things and what works and what doesn't uh, in interpersonal relationships. Of course, not everything is gold, uh, but I love using Star Trek in mental health to help people. Um, it really is great, and I love uh, how you guys break down each episode. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and uh, keep doing it. All right. Talk to you later. Oh, actually, I probably won't. But hey, uh, love the show. Bye. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.